nothing that they would bring with them was working. And I went before the Lord, and I just asked the Lord, what happens? Is this it? And I prayed for my mother. And the Lord told me a very simple thing. He says, Daddy, tell your sister to say this to her. So I said, Bob, okay, my older sister, Bob, are you near mom? says, yes, I am. I said, tell her this, these words. Your work is not yet done. So you cannot leave my because my mom was my greatest supporter. Every time I was preaching, she was praying. The last time I was here preaching, my mom was praying as I was preaching. So at that time, 15 years ago, I felt the Lord saying to her, your work is not yet done. You cannot leave now. Because she was my backup. She was my spiritual support whenever I was out ministry. And that's all my sister whispered in her ear. Within an hour, she was up on her feet. No symptoms, nothing at all. Because of the power of purpose and the power of vision. This time when her husband went home, like, she picked up her purpose and she wanted to join it. So in my heart, I told the Lord, saying, Venerable, she's done another fabulous job in raising one of us kids, loving the Lord, praying for us for many, many years in ministry. My mom was not my chief assessment. I share this to say this that there's something powerful about walking in purpose, in God's divine purpose for your life. That while death is no respect of persons, death is most definitely a respect of purpose. I get a lot of people that ask me, Pastor, that say, can you pray for the protection of my children? And I always say this, Auntie, Uncle, let that little one walk according to their purpose and I don't have to pray for their protection. Their purpose protect. Because when you look at the life of the believers, Saul was hunting David to kill him for many years. Saul was the king in Israel. That means that he had the entire resource of Israel to hunt down David in a very limited area. The best soldiers, the best trackers, the best you know military guys that could sniff out anything, they could not find David, they could not kill him for many years. Not because David knows how to hide, but because David's purpose had not yet been fulfilled. That's why you first trek and you get to the toward the end of the first book of Samuel. Now the you know, first time, and you find that around chapter 29, chapter 30, David and his men had gone on a military expedition. They were camped at a place called Ziklag. And when they were camped at this place called Ziklag, the Amalekites came and they attacked the village. And they took everything. Not some things, they took everything. You understand? The women, the children, and all of the supply. When the Amalekites attacked, they took everything. David and his mighty men came and found out the village had been burnt to the ground. The women and the children had been taken into captivity by one of the most vicious militias or military groups that has ever lived. The Amalekites were not people to mess with. The Amalekites were an extremely militant and extremely cruel group of people. So the Bible then lets us know that David and the men began to cry. They wept, the Bible says, until there was no strength left in them. That means they were drained emotionally, tired physically. Then the men began to talk about killing David because, you know, these men that loved their leader, that followed David, you know, that came to David when they were broken in his despair and become many men, they were so heartbroken because they had lost their family. They looked at their leader, David, and they began to talk about killing him. The Bible lets us know what David did. We sing about it, we preach about it. David removed himself from the crowd, the Bible says, and he went alone to be with the Lord. And here's what the Bible says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. I don't know, Pastor, what was the content of that conversation. I don't know what the Bible means by what David was doing in encouraging himself in the Lord. But I think I'm smart enough to try and figure that out. Here's what happened. When David was a teenager, first Samuel chapter 16, a man of God came to his father's house one day, looking to anoint a king. First Samuel chapter 16, let's turn there. I want to show you something. Show you how God operates. Are we doing okay? Are we good? Alright. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Seeing as I've rejected him from reigning over Israel, fill your home with oil, and go, I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I provided for myself a king from amongst his sons. And Samuel says, how shall I go if Saul hears it, Saul will kill me. Now here's what the Lord is saying. The Lord is saying, I've rejected Saul as king, and I'm sending you, Samuel, the mighty man of God, into the house of a Bethlehemite by the name of Jesse. Because one of his sons, Jesse had eight sons, 
One of his sons is the one I've chosen to be captain over my people. And what's interesting about this is this, is there appears to be a sense of urgency in God speaking, meaning what? He did not tell Samuel, go there next year. He told Samuel, go away. Right now. To what? To go and anoint the king. From the house of, from the house of Jesse. Now it's a good Bible student, you have to ask yourself, okay, what is the hurry? Right? Because David was not going to take the throne for many years. He was a teenager at that time, and he was going to be 30 something, almost 36 years old, 40 years old before he begins to reign over the entire realm of Israel. So, why are you hurrying to the house of Jesse to tell a teenager he's going to be king when that teenager is not going to sit on that throne for at least another 15 or more than 15 years? What's the rush? The rush is something that I'm hoping we can come to some level when I say, I told you about my mom, what a deathbed, what a deathbed. And what the Lord told me, he didn't say bind the devil, he didn't say lose the power of God, he didn't say no, he said tell her her work is not yet done. One statement, woman, you cannot die right now, your work is not yet done, to the power she's up, every symptom gone. Why would the Lord send Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint a kid that was not going to sit on the throne for at least another 15 to 20 years? What's the rush? The rush is simple. Because God operates on a principle which you must understand, which is what He does the end from the beginning. It's a principle of vision. Samuel was going to go to the house of Jesse to give a teenager vision. Vision of what? Of the outcome God had planned for him. Why? Because uh, when the vision was set, you will experience loss, you will experience tragedy. You might lose the job, you might not get the promotion. Things may not work out in the house, but as long as the vision is set, you've got something that is a source of encouragement. That's why the Lord says what? The Psalm of, 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 of Solomon, I think it's Psalm 127, says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. So you know what that means? That means, by way of operating, God is a builder. What do we know about builders? Builders do not work randomly, God himself. A builder does not say, oh, let me just get some brick and put some stuff together and let me see how it works out. A builder always begins by finishing the building in concept, in what is called a blueprint, right? Only when the building is complete can the building be started. You understand what I mean? The whole point I'm trying to make is this. If God is a builder, he builds the end from the beginning. That's what the book of Isaiah tells us. That's why the Lord goes to the house of Jesse and he says to Samuel, go and tell this teenage boy what I'm going to do for him. Next year? No. The year after next? No. 10 years? No. 12 years? No. 15 years? Why am I telling you now? Because there has to be an outcome for a vision set in his heart. Because he is going to experience a confrontation with a giant called Goliath. What will give you the confidence is you know I'm not dying today. I'm not dying today because a vision for my life is already set. Then you will experience rejection where the whole country that is saved from the giant will turn against you. If you have to hide in caves in foreign lands, in fact, he had to find sanctuary in the camp of the Philistines. What will sustain him in the camp of his enemy? The vision that God gave me when I was 15. What is that? You will see me the way I am now. I may look like I've got nothing. I may look like I'm going nowhere. To you, I'm in a total failure. But there's a vision that was put in my heart when the Lord spoke to me about the end of my life before the end was. That's what sustains. So the question I have is, most of us in the church operate with no vision at all. We wake up in the morning and hope to see what God will do. I've seen churches that operate with no particular vision. We just meet and we hope that somehow we'll get to a favorable outcome. That's not the way the kingdom of God works. That's why the Lord approached Joseph when, how, how old was he? He was a kid in his father's house. And what did the Lord give him? He gave him a dream of what the plan God had for his life to set the vision. The vision was someday your mother, your father, and your brothers are going to bow down before you. Why are you telling me now? You must remember what you remember what I tell you. Why? Because there is a time that is coming where a battle will confront you. 
that will try and scream so loud until what you think is happening now is the only thing that is happening. Vision must cause you to cast your eyes from beyond, from the middle of the storm, and look at the time that God had intended. So God went to Joseph and he said, I'm going to give you a dream. Why are you giving me this dream, Lord? Is it happening this year? No, it's not. Is it happening next year? No, it's not. Why are you giving it to me now? Because unless you are aware that there is more coming, how are you going to deal with the rejection from your brothers? How are you going to deal when you find yourself in a pit? What's going to happen when you find yourself in chains, sold to slavery? That's why the Lord visits you in the now and says, I have a plan for your life. So that what? So you do not take an immediate battle or an immediate crisis to be a life-defining crisis. You keep your eyes open to where God is taking you. And as long as you know where God is taking you, you will overcome the battle of the immediate. But most of the things that the enemy does is to close your sight or your eyes from the vision that God has for your life. That's why a lot of people are only dealing with the immediate. That's why their prayer is always about survival related material. Most Christians, if I was to take an altar call for miracles, it's usually survival related. You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm not feeling well, I want to do better, I want to feel healthy. Well, that just means you survive. Being, surviving is not a goal. Surviving is because there is a goal. Are we okay? I exist because there's a purpose that exists. Are we okay? So what do the enemy do? The enemy's job is to blind. That's why I said the God of this world blinds. What is blinding? Where you do not see tomorrow. You cannot see next week. You've got no concept for five years from now. You've got no concept. How does God deal with people? He always shows them a vision that is many years ahead of where they are. Why? Because so that as they walk, it is based on the fact that don't count me out because Sarah and I have no son. Don't look at us and say, you're 75 years old, you've got no boy. There's a vision for a promised child. Don't look at us at 80 years old and make fun of us. And say, when you're 80, you've never known what it is to go shopping for a toy. You've never known what it is to put a crib together. You're 90 years old and you're childless. Don't worry about it. Why? Because when I was in my 60s, God spoke to me. And he said, look up into the heavens. Why? I want to give you vision. Can you count the stars? No, God, I can't. Good. So shall your children be. Can you count the sand on the seashore? I cannot count it's too much more. So shall the children be. How does God work? God always works on the concept of vision. So you Malayalism, Indians and Tamils that are in the United States. Coming here is not the end goal. That's right. The job, the new contract, that's not the end goal. The end goal is what? There's a vision that was in the heart of God that made you import you from another part of the world to bring you here. Now you have to come into partnership with God's vision. That's what God always does. He gives you an opportunity to come into partnership with the vision that he has. So when he went to David, it was an offer. It was not an imposition. Son, the vision I have for you is for you to be king. So what does David have to say? He can say no, or he can say, I am here I am. Put me in there, make me a part of it. You have to come into agreement with the divine purpose for your life, but it always begins with this. When you look from beyond where you are right now, what do you see? Next year? Two years. What do you see? The Bible says, where there's no vision, I think it's in, in Proverbs 29, Where there's no vision, the people perish. You know what that actually means? It says, where there's no revelation, where there's no, where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. The reason is this. If I don't see where I'm going, and I don't have a vision for the future, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what time I get up. It doesn't matter how much time I spend in the Word. Christ was talking about spending time in the Word. Most people don't spend time in the Word because they, there's nothing that they desire in life that is outside their natural skill set. The minute you want something more than your skill set can produce, you will put your nose in that book and you'll try to figure out how God can help. I always say this to people, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, can you please teach the children about prayer? Mm, no. Why? 
I'll teach them about vision. Why? Because once they have a vision that is greater than their skill set, all they will pray. They will talk to God. But the minute that the outcome of their life is your kids are smart, you want them to be a doctor. What? He already has the skills to be a doctor. He doesn't need a miracle for that. The kid's already shot. But so beyond that, what you say, when you become that, be the man or the woman that God has called you to be, the minute that their vision becomes greater than they can do by their own power, they will get on their knees and they'll talk to God. Yeah. There's two different types of prayer meetings. There's the prayer meeting of those that are sitting in the boat, right? Which is what? Peter and the disciples. They're in the boat in the middle of the lake. There's a storm. Even though there's a storm, and it looks like the boat might capsize, but it's still safe in the boat. So what can you do? You can have a philosophical prayer life in the boat. Ah, you know, I don't know if that's Jesus, you know, I don't know. Ah, maybe it's him, maybe it's not. You can argue, you can have a good Bible study in the boat. Peter is on the water. There's no place for philosophy there. <laughs> Lord, help me! What is that? Powerful prayer. Why? Because he has gone beyond the place where human capability can help him. He is now out on the water. Without God, he's dying. And because he put himself out there, his vision was greater than the scope of human capability. His cry is deeper. His cry is louder. His prayer life has got more fervor and more shakti. Amen. It's got more power. Why? Because he's out on the water. A lot of people play it safe. That's why you can be casual with God. You can be casual. I know a lot of preachers that hold themselves to a low standard. So they hold themselves to Some young preachers pass in the country. Well, Pastor, you know, it's more, you know, they're happy. How was the teaching? I mean, I'm happy about Well, I went through all my notes. Well, that's your standard. That you said everything you wanted to say. Oh, I know ministers that have a high standard. Let me tell you this. There's a man of God, a number of years ago, that I invited to preach to my youth group. Okay. He was a dean of a local Bible college and a seventh of that Bible college. And I, I just saw him one day and I felt the Lord say, invite him to speak. I was a youth pastor at that time. Invite him to speak to your youth on Saturday night. So I went there and I said, Uncle, can you come and speak to my youth? And he said, okay, um, give me three weeks. Why three weeks? He says, because I want three weeks to pray. Okay, wow. He called me every other day. And here's what he used to say. He said, son, um, can you pray for me that the Lord will show us his glory in that name? I said, okay. Then he calls me two days later. Son, can, I said, yes, I, you told me two days ago. He says, I don't think you understand what I mean. Son, can you pray that the Lord will grace us with his presence? Okay? Three days later. Son, can you pray for three weeks, Pastor? He kept nagging me. And I was wondering, is this brother okay? I mean, is everything okay? What is he talking about? Right? So I went through the neighborhood and I invited a bunch of young people. I think I must have 300 young people in that room that night. The praise and worship team was all prepped. They were new music. It was powerful. Yeah, that Messiah is the king of kings. Africans, man, we dance, we go crazy, right? I asked the pastor to come and preach. And when I asked him, I was all fired up. I was wondering. Three weeks he kept nagging me about, can you allow the Lord to, uh, can you let the can you ask the Lord? So, okay, fine. He is now. I'm sitting in the front row because I'm the host. I'm, I'm invited everybody. I kept telling you, it's going to be so good. You guys are going to come up. This man, I never heard him preach, but I was giving him good press. I'm a good market. Amen. He gets up there and he goes to what Samuel, no, what first Samuel, uh, the story of David at, in a cave, longing for water from the well in Bethlehem. You guys know that story? David and his mighty men were in a cave outside of Bethlehem. The Philistines' garrison was parked in, in Bethlehem. And David just longed for He says, Oh, you have to have a drink of water from the well in Bethlehem. That's what he preached about for three minutes. He just gets up there and he says, David was longing for water that is found in the house of bread. Because Bethlehem means the house of bread. And he says, There's only one type of water that flows in the house of bread. David was not longing for water. Because if he was going for water, he would have drank a lot. But when the man brought him the water, he poured it out as a drink offering before the Lord. What David was really longing for was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit. And then he says, that's all I'm going to say. I'm waiting with you. Okay? He says, I'm done. Now he's looking at me. I'm like, ask the three minutes. I'm trying to people here. For weeks, I was telling him to get ready. And then here's what he says. Why should I keep talking about somebody who can talk for himself? Okay? 
Now, because I'm the host, my mind is thinking, do I have a good sermon tucked away in the Bible? In case you need to supplement, you know? In case I have to go there and add some more, you know? I was thinking, but here's what it says, Pastor. He says, everybody stand. And we all stood up, and three followers were going to help. So here's the way it went. Up, and all of a sudden, I heard. And then when I looked back, tired of them on the ground. Then I began to hear praying. Kids, I knew that did not have the Holy Spirit. We get back to the Holy Spirit. Everywhere in that room, and he just stood there with three quarters of the room on the floor, chairs everywhere. It was a mess. And I'm looking there and I'm thinking, Father, what is going on? I'm looking at my room. Let me tell you this. I had one youth group, one Saturday, and then a completely different youth group the next Saturday because of the three-minute sermon. How long did the people stay on the ground? About an hour and a half, almost two hours? Some of them were to help them. Even when we're taking them home, they couldn't, they were still not yet speaking English. They were still reading that. How am I going to explain this to their mother? What is that? They're not crazy. Not, but here's what I found out. Sometimes we hold ourselves to a low standard. A standard that is well within our scope, well within our ability. You that need worship. When you need worship, there is worship that can take place here on earth, or it can take us into the very name of heaven. It depends on the standard you hold yourself, which is what depends on the vision you have for yourself in the area that you're in. That's why God always extends the bound of your sight and invites you if you want to come there. He did not say to the disciples, follow me and I'll make nothing of you. He says, follow me and I'll make you what? Jesus of men, meaning what? I will make you something that you are not. Will you come to me so that you can fulfill this amazing and this grand vision? Ah. What do you want? What do you desire? If it's already something that is within your capability, no wonder you have a hard time with a prayer life. You can already, you don't need to fast. You already know how to do it. Everything you're planning on doing, you already know how to do it. Are we okay? What happens when the vision becomes greater than your talents? Too many talented people in church. Very talented. This one talented, that one talented, don't care about your talent. That's why it says what? He says this, you know, he commit this work to what? To faithful men who shall be able. Not to able men who are faithful, but to faithful men first who shall then be able to do. God doesn't need your talent. In Bible college, they were teaching me and saying, oh, take a talent test to see what your gifts are. Because out of your talent, God wants to use you. Abraham was gifted as a businessman. He wasn't called to be a businessman. He was not talented as a parent. He didn't have that ability to have a child. And that's what he's calling it. And of all the things God called Abraham, he called him to do the one thing he was incapable of doing. Can you, can you be a statesman? I'm a good statesman. I'm not calling you to that. Can you be a good businessman? I'm a good businessman. I'm not calling you to that. What is the one thing you can do? Sarah and I don't have to kill kids. Good. That's what I'm calling you to do. Why? Because in that area, you don't depend on your natural talent. You have no talent for that. That's the one thing you are completely incapable. The area of your greatest competence is the place the Lord went and said to Abraham, I'll put your greatest calling in your greatest incompetence. Why? Because you have to lean on me to get it done. The vision was always greater than the man's natural skill and the person's natural ability. Are we okay? Remember? What's the vision? Pastor was saying what? Don't just expect small things. You are saying, expect great things from God. Why? Because a church that is an individual with a vision that is greater than their natural skill set is a prayerful church. It's a church that knows how to fast. It's a church that knows how to lean on God. Because the things they desire are beyond human capability. It forces them to seek after the face of the Lord. Are we okay? Why is Jacob wrestling with God? Because he wanted a blessing, and the blessing could not come from man. The one thing he truly wanted, he thought he could steal it from his father. Isaac laid hands on Jacob and sent him on his way, and he did not walk in blessing. He left with the clothes on his back. Fourteen years later, he still had not been paid for any work he had done. Because he was cooked in the house of labor with his father's blessing on him. That's why the day came when he says, I've heard from everybody. I've heard from my dad. I tried to steal from my brother. My mom told me I'm special. But now, I am taking a hold of God. And I will not let him go until he blesses me. That's why the Lord says, you are special. I will change your name. Because you wrestle with men and with God and you prevail. You 
But there came a time when Jacob wanted something that only God could give him. Are we okay? What do you want? What's the vision? Look at how the Lord does what he does. Let us make men, Genesis chapter 1, 26, 27, 28. Let us make men in our image and according to our likeness. Let them be dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every creeping thing that moves before the surface of the earth. One man, one woman. Two people. And the Lord gave them charge over the entire planet. How can two people? Some of us have a hard time just giving up our room. Amen, kids, right? Just giving your room in one room. The Lord told me the whole planet is yours. Two people. Lord, how in the world can two people manage the entire planet? They can't, but they're not skilled. They're going to need Why? And so that's why, as we watch this, as long as Adam was walking with God, not much did it ever appear that the task was too much. The only time the task became super difficult was when sin came in and mankind was cut from their relationship with God. The task of what? Showing that made the image and likeness of God and every rule over all of creation was only able to be achieved as long as men remained in union with God. Failure was born the day that the relationship was cut and man was left on his own without the supply of God's genius, without the supply of God's ability. And that's when you begin to see that man was a failure. The animals turned on him, the earth turned on him and says, you want to eat? Yeah, sweat. But before that, as long as man was in union with God, this daunting task of managing the planet appeared to be easy. God will always entrust in you something that is greater than your natural talent. And as you lean on him, it will be an adventure of your life walking with God. So the question I have is, what's the vision that you have? What brought you from your house to camp this week? Just to survive another year? Don't worry, we'll be taken care of. You get your bills paid, you know, job is secure. Is that it? Is that all? Or were you part of God's planning to reach South Asians that are about 40 to 50,000 in, in the local area that the Lord wants to see in the house of God and make choose you to get that accomplished? Would that be the reason why the Lord, you know, brought you guys when you were younger in Brady and Mahesh when you guys were kids when this thing began? So when you guys were kids, and now you've grown together with this many because this was not all that God had in mind. What he had in mind was the same multiplication that happened in the early part since you were there from the beginning. The Lord wanted this thing to grow. But are we satisfied now? Because we have what? 120? It's 50,000. In the greater Minnesota area alone. In the Athens area, the Twin City. Are we okay? It's too harsh for camp. Oh, come on, get a greater vision for you. You are the imports. That means what? God imports the best. Pastor, he brought you from the whole country because he imports the best. He sends you out to come here, not so you can just tread water and have nice jobs and latest minivans. The Lord has a great platform. And so here's what happens. Just by the knowledge of that. That's what I have to say to the Lord every time. Why would you take this, this African boy? And when I, you know my story. My story was this. I was not supposed to speak in public. Because whenever I stood in front of people, I used to start up horrible. I do not speak. God is my witness. You cannot even go through 30 minutes of my own sermons because you wouldn't understand. I kept stuttering. I stumbled through every single presentation. And, and, and God, 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 said, 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 said. But I, I couldn't control that. It just happened. Until one Saturday, as I was preaching to my youth, and I was preaching to the anointing of soul, which says what? And the spirit of the Lord shall come upon you and shall be turned into another man. As I preached those words, for the first time I got articulation in my life, I heard the words coming out of my mouth with no style. So what is it? So for me, it's a big deal for me to talk to you this way. Why? It is completely outside of my skill set. It's a gifting that came only by granting me to God. And I know if I cut away, then you guys can see how useless I really am. What am I talking about? It's just a greater vision. From where you are right now, you've got to cast your vision from beyond where you are. The world always works upon your vision. Do you know that right now, as we speak, most of the major Fortune 500 companies already know what they want to execute in the year 2025, in the year 2030. They already have a plan for the year 2035. And the church is just 
Tread in water. See what happens. What am I asking you to do? I don't know. Get along with God. And from that time on with God, come back with a vision that is greater than whatever it is you're looking at right now. Believe God for greater. Believe God for more. Believe God for more out of your life than anybody in your family tree, anybody in your bloodline. Why? So that you can set a standard for your kids and your children's children. This faith is a relay race. You know what that means. One generation runs and finishes the race and has the baton to the other generation. Do you know what you cannot do? You cannot, before you finish your race, throw the baton and say, when you catch, now you run. No, no, no. You have to run the full stretch. You can only hand over that means what? You have got to set the tone for the next generation by your commitment to God. That's why you can come to God right now and say, Father, if I was an average intercessor, make me a heaven and earth shaking intercessor. If I was an average prayer warrior, let me take down kingdoms in prayer. I want to go even higher in the things of God. There are many women that are walking this planet right now that when they pray, there's a shift in kingdoms when they pray. You can be average. Start to go, we'll go to heaven, they will stop, to go to the door. Or you can say, Father, I want a greater vision than anything other than that one. Because I want to run such a race that when my kids follow me, they will have the strength to run. Because I will set the bar high. I'm looking. Talking about vision. From a personal level. What's your vision as a family? What is it that you want to achieve? Just maintain a certain lifestyle? Okay. That can happen. This is my life. Then what? Then what else? It's okay to have a vision and accomplish. Let me show you the secret of the greats in Hebrews chapter 11. Show you what happened. Hebrews chapter 11. Are we doing okay? I'm going to tell you why I'm announcing this in your hearing right now. Because what happens is, as the word of God goes forth, the anointing to accomplish what is announced is given as the word is coming forth. That means what? That the ability for the anointing to catch into vision is available right now. You can hear this as information, or you can hear this from the way of taking a hold of something. And I'm telling you this, you can get an invitation that will change the next course of your life. This can be a weekend that marks the next stage in our life. What did I say, Hebrews? I'm going to read from the tail end. From verse 10. Right? By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. After they were encircled. By faith, the whole Korea did not perish with those who did not believe when she received the spies. What more shall I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens. Women who received their dead to life again. Others who were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they had obtained a bare resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings and years of chains. They were stoned, they were sold in two, were tempted and were slain by the sword. And they wandered through in, in, in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in the deserts and the mountains, in the dens. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive what was promised. God, having provided something better for us, that they should uh, be made perfect. Therefore also they become, let me tell you the secret. Here's what happened. Some of those individuals, the vision God gave them, was too big to be accomplished in their lifetimes. But it was what sustained them so that even in death, they saw the vision from afar, embraced it, and went to, to, to their great satisfaction. Let me show you what I mean by that. Abraham was told he shall have kids. Like what? The same of the seashore. How many kids did he have when he died? Not a lot. He had Ishmael, he had Isaac, he had a few kids with Keturah, the second wife after Sarah died, handful of kids. But you were promised children like the same of the seashore. God will always give you a vision greater than the scope of even your lifetime. Because why? Because even from the grave, the testament of Abraham still lives. 
It's accomplished multi-generations. How does God sustain the man in his lifetime? By giving him a vision that is greater than his lifetime. You always cast a vision that is greater than your lifespan, Pastor. My lifespan. Why? People that have done great things for God were always animated by the vision that was greater than their lifespan. The people that God loved were always multi-generational thinkers. They always talk multi-generationally because God is not the God of Abraham. He's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Three generations. Why? So that's why you always cast a vision, not just your children, Rich, but your children's children. And once you have that vision set as to what you will accomplish, then it animates your life now. The greater vision is what sustains you. Well, what if I have that vision and I don't see it in my lifetime? To God be the glory. Why? Because that means that even your testimony is maintained beyond the grave. All of the greats, God gave them a vision that was greater than their lifetimes. Why? Because that's what gives you the power in the present. When what you're believing for is bigger than your 19 years, your 18 years, your 17 years, it goes beyond it. What did the Lord say of Christ? Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. Christ was animated by a vision of the nation serving him. But he went on to heaven at age 33 and a quarter, 33 and a half. How many were saved? Many Jews? Oh, how many of the Gentiles came in only after he died? But why? He went to, you know, he went on and died and went to heaven satisfied because the vision that was given him was the nation serving him. And what? And the generations of serve him and shall be accounted to him for a generation. Or the seed shall serve him, Isaiah said, and shall be accounted to him for a generation. It was the larger vision that animated the ministry of Christ. He always looked beyond now. So the question I have is simple for tonight. Almost done. What are we believing God for? Men or not? Individually, collectively as a family, together as a church. Is there any vision that wakes us up at night that governs whether we fast or we don't? Is there any desire that is greater than the present uh, capability that makes me put my nose in the Bible a little bit more, study a little bit more, pray a little bit more? Is there anything that I'm aiming at that is greater than where I'm at? Paul taught us the secret to his success. In the book of Philippians, chapter 3, he says, What? I don't consider myself to have what? Attain it. But I press to take a hold of that for which Christ got a hold of me. Forgetting what lies behind, focusing on what? That bigger goal, the bigger vision. I press for the mark of the upper core of God in Christ Jesus. What is that? He kept on going for a vision greater than his lifetime. Not knowing that as he went after the churches are born, as he went after the Bible is written, as he went after its theology is systemized. It was him going for the greater vision that caused him to be so successful. Those that are always worried about the present. Those that are so consumed about now. Oh, look at me now. I'm not feeling well now. I usually people that have lost the vision of tomorrow. When you can see tomorrow clear. That's when you can you see. When Christ preached in the book of Luke chapter 4, the Bible says the crowd came. When he started, everybody was happy. He began by saying in verse 18 of Luke chapter 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He says, and everybody said, wow, he speaks so well. But then he rebuked them and they got upset. The Bible says they took him to the edge of a hill that they might push him over. But what did the Bible say? But Christ walked right through them. Why did he do that? Don't take my time. What would he have done? I know you want to kill me now. You can't. Why? I'm not yet done. What does that mean? Out of the, the power and anointing of the vision that God had for the life of his son, he walked right through a whole crowd of people that were trying to kill him. You don't think until he's done. Are we okay? That's why I'm asking you right now. What's the vision? What do you want to see? John Knox said, give me Scotland or I die. He told God, either give me Scotland or King. One of the greatest missionaries to Scotland was John Knox. The Queen of the Scots said this, here's what she said, I fear no man. The only thing I fear on this earth are the prayers of John Knox. Why? Because John Knox said, Lord, I, I want, I want Scotland. So what, what happens? The vision of a nation. 
Să stei. Acum, mă rog, frumos, nu trebuie să rămâi în o indomitabilă prins to ever, sigur într-o lupte financiară. Nu vreau să fie nimeni bun cu mine, dacă e nu mea, dar voi nu vrei să stei. When Paul looked at the map, so here's what happened with vision. A lot of people say, well, God, give me a vision. God, give me a vision for, for what you want me to do. That's a cop out. A lot of people that say that, they use that as an excuse. So that when they do nothing, they can say, well, God, you tell me, God, you show me anything. What did Paul do? Paul knew that the gospel is going to the entire world of the Gentiles. So what does he do? He went to the entire world of the Gentiles. And then what? When he was trying to get into Asia and the Lord did not want him to go, what did the Lord say? He says, we tried to go into Asia, but the Spirit resisted us. And I always used to ask, well, didn't you pray about it first? No. He didn't have to. <laughs> I'm going to the Gentiles, the Gentiles are going there. Lord, if you don't want me to go there, block the way. Lead me elsewhere. That's why the Lord blocked the way, then into Macedonia. And the kingdom was preached there. But what is it? He was animated by a vision. He looked at a map. And he says, this is why. So what I'll ask is, the leadership of the church more times than not, I'll say, show me the map of your city. Show me where you want the next home group to come from. Show me where you want the next, you know, show me where you say, you know what? Ah, too many Hindus here. We need a Bible study in the middle of this place. We're going to show me the vision. Oh, we just want to see what God will do. Really? Okay. Paul says, according to the grace given me, as a, a, a wise master builder. What does that mean? I build. What do you do as a builder? Always begin with the finished format. This is the way it looks like, and it will come back from concept to execution. Where's the concept? Are we okay? Here's what I found out. People with no plan are always at the mercy of someone with a plan. When you walk around with no plan, you will always be at the mercy of someone with a plan. That's why someone will call you and say, ah, uh, brother, uh, what you doing at 2 o'clock? Do you know why he's asking you what you're doing at 2 o'clock? Because he is occupied at one third. So his time is accounted for, but he's free at 2 o'clock. So what is he looking for? If you don't have a plan for 2 o'clock, then you must come and be subservient to the plan I have for 2 o'clock. A person with no plan for their life is always at the mercy of one with a plan. I have a very simple question I'm asking you very much. What's the plan? Well, the church, I'm not the church, I'm talking to you. You. That's what I want. My answer is my answer. Well, what's the plan? Right? Why? Put it down. Or feel sorry if I put it down and I don't accomplish it. I would rather that you have it down and it's not accomplished than that you have nothing at all. I would rather that you aim at something and miss than that you aim at nothing and hit. Are we okay? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, says what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Believe not on maps. On all your In all your ways. In all whose ways? Who said God's ways? He didn't say in all his ways. He says in all your ways. Acknowledge him, then what does he do? Then you direct your path. Meaning what? If your way is at variance with his way, you direct and say, don't go there. But what we, we have no way. We come to God with no way of our own. And then our Father, just show me where you want me to go to power. Show me what you want me to do to And one year we pray, 10 years we're going to show me what you want me to do. Because we don't want the responsibility of owning a vision. In case we put it down and nothing happens. But let me tell you this. Anything of any real consequence in this life comes from pure intention. You have to intend it first. If you don't intend it, it cannot happen. Everything. Everything you can see right now. Everything you are sitting on right now. The person it was designed before it was created. Meaning what? Somebody saw it as an end product before they put you know, something together. That means what? We are all to the same level. Why do you think Jesus was a carpenter? What does a carpenter do? Or let me just put one together and see what I come up with. No! He plans. He works according to a plan. Because in order for you to do carpentry, every joint has got to be absolutely accurate. Or the thing will not be stable. So what does Christ do? He always works the end from the beginning. So the question I have for you is simple. I'm almost done. We're going to be done just now so we can go hang out and enjoy camp. The homework right now is before this camp is over, write something down. Five goals. In my lifetime, before I come home, Father, I want to achieve this. I want to see this with my eyes. I want to walk in this reality. Before you, before you harvest me and take me home, 
I truly desire to see this. If you live before it happens, don't worry. Maybe your child will, 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 will carry it on. Or maybe your, ch ch your child's child will carry it on. But make sure there's a vision. The Lord says in Genesis chapter 13, here's what the Lord says. Abraham and Lot have been together, right? They've been together, but all of them were multiplying so increasingly. Their people began to fight. So then Abraham said to Lord, son, pick where you will go. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go north, I'll go south. So Lot picked the best place, right? The cities of the place, it was green, it was lush. It also happens to go to the was, but he is a kid, he doesn't know any better. After Abraham was left, that old man was left with a dry piece of land. Here's what the Lord said to Abraham. Lift up your eyes and see what everything you can see, I will give it to you. From here where you are, all the way to the great river, even in the face. What was the Lord saying? Cast your vision, Abraham. Don't look at this dust and think it's nothing. Look up. Why? Because as far as your eye can see, I'll give it to you. If you can see it, it's yours. What is that? I will grant you according to your sight and your vision. So the Lord had to expand the old man's eyes as he looked up and he says, okay, fine, this is dry and this is desolate, but I can see why we pray for The Lord will what? The Lord had to expand his vision. He says, the Lord says to Abraham afterward, look around from where you are to the north, the south, the east, and the west. Next verse. And all the land that you see, I will give it to you and your offspring forever. What is the Lord doing? He's encouraging Abraham how? Through vision. Don't get discouraged because the land is dry. Look up. Look up. What do you see? Father, I see, I see those hills and arrows. What do you see? There's an outline there, but it's far, but that's yours. If you can see it, it's yours. Why? Vision. Pastor Christian is Told us about Elijah. Suresh, we were teaching about, about Elijah's depression. Do you know what Elijah's depression was? Alabas admits is because all he had begun to look at was him and what he could accomplish. That's why he was feeling down. So he began to feel like a failure because he was not getting the result that his effort reflected. How did God remove the prophet's depression? By expanding his vision from beyond himself. How? He told him, go and anoint Hezalel as the king of Syria, go and anoint Jehu as the king of Israel, and go and anoint Elisha as a prophet in your stead. And in fact, let me tell you this, you think you are the only one, your eyesight is too small. Out of 7,000, we're not bound in any bed. How did the Lord receive the prophet from depression? He gave him a larger vision of his little life. He told him, there's more going on than what you can see. So what happened? The man who was not supposed to die was begging for death. Why? Anyone, anyone who is ever battle depression, when it hits you, what happens? You can't see tomorrow, right? What happens with depression? The, the feeling of down today is overwhelming. You don't even want to think about next week. You, whenever you look about tomorrow, you don't see any light, any sunshine, anything good. The, the death of vision usually puts us into emotional, you know, desperate emotional, emotional state. So more than just the medication you can get, one of the things that can cure depression is when vision begins to be born in you again. Then now you have a reason to wake up in the morning. Why? Because today may be terrible. I can see that next week. I can see next year. I can see something that will happen in the lifetime of my children's children. It gives you a life. When, they, when, when, when Elijah was depressed, the Lord rescued the prophet from that state by letting him know, invest in the next generation. Don't die alone. It's a young man. Who is longing for a mentor? Raise him up. So that the old prophet went, thinking, ah, oh, by myself, I'm the only one left, I'm the only one in my father's house on the field. And the Lord said, ah, there are more. So while he's walking and he sees a man that's plowing behind 13 other guys, he takes off his cloak and he throws it on the young man, Elisha. Elisha begins to follow him, follows him for many years. And here's the test of Elisha that Pastor was talking about. What was the test of Elisha? The test of Elisha, the areas that you see, Pastor, where they were in Gilgal. Gilgal was the place of the rolling away of the reproach. Gilgal was the place they camped when they crossed over the Jordan. And then the second generation was circumcised. That generation that left Egypt, these kids were brought up in the desert. They had never covered anything themselves to God. They inhabited Gilgal. 
Gilgal had a, had, that's why the monument of the 12 rocks that were taken from the midst of the Jordan were in Gilgal to remind them of the supernatural crossing. What a good place to live. But Elijah says, I will not stay in Gilgal. Because God has sent me to Jericho. He said, I'm going to Jericho with you. Why? Don't judge me like today. It's something I can see. I'm longing for something I've not yet got. So he sticks around the old man. They get to Jericho. Okay, stay here in Jericho. For the Lord is sending me to uh, to um, to Bethel. Ah, as you live and as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. Why? The young man had a vision. So he stopped the old man. They get to Jericho. Stay here. For the Lord is sending me to Jordan. Stick to the old man in Jordan. Until the old man says, What do you want? Why won't you leave me alone? That's when he begins to share the vision that is in his heart. And this vision was simple. Sir, I want a double portion of what? Of your spirit. Not just anointing. People think it's anointing. He didn't say the anointing. He, said, he didn't say of the spirit of God on you. He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. Are we okay? What is he asking for? What took you years to put together, sir? When you walk with God, when you, when, when, when you struggled in the middle of nothing, that spirit, that, that character that kept you serving God, when nobody else was there but you and God, I want twice as much. I want your character. I love the relationship you have with God. I want mine to be two times deep. I love the way you walk, the way you, you know, handle that's not different. I want twice as much of your fortitude, of your ability to stay in the course, even in difficulty. I love to stay in the course like you did, but I want twice as much. Why? Like Pastor said, it's the rise of the firstborn. If you don't have a natural son, you're a, 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 a spiritual son in me. I want my rise as the firstborn. Why is it? The young man caught a vision that was greater than his father. It doesn't offend God. And then when you look at how many miracles Elijah, how many miracles did Elijah perform? I think he performed seven miracles that are recorded. How many did Elijah perform? 40 miracles are recorded. What is that? It's like twice as much, many other miracles happened in the life of Elijah. Why? The vision he had was, Father, the amazing man of God that I'm following. I want to do you justice by going twice as much. I want twice as much. Why? Because that's how things operate in the kingdom. How, how many children did, uh, did Abraham have? One promised son in Isaac. How many uh, did Isaac have? Two in Jacob and Esau. How many did Jacob have? Twelve. One, two, twelve. What is that? Exponential growth. Each generation saying, I want to go even further. The vision I have is greater than where you came. That's why Christ looked at his disciples and said, These works that you see me do, greater works than these shall you do. Why? I want you to have a greater measure of effectiveness, even than I. What is that? You are trying to put vision. Simple question, and I'm done, I'm done for today. What do you see? I know, I guess, yeah, I know, but I'm not in jail, what am I going to do? This, this is not the end. This is the beginning. Cast your vision. Have a greater purpose for your life. And say, Father, my father's house. There's no one who will outperform me in my father's house. I want to do great than my father ever did. I want you to pray that my brothers ever did for the sake of the kingdom of God. I want to expand the territory. So when my kids, it's their turn to run with this. They will have a greater, a greater scope to accomplish. Are we okay? What's an African boy doing in Minnesota talking to Indian people? I had to have a better vision than, oh, you can only go and speak to Africans. You know, I spoke at a place. I shared the platform. If I told you his name, you'll know who he is. The author of many, many books is a highly respected man of God in this country and around the world. His books were bestsellers. I shared the stage with him about seven, eight years ago. Pastor, no, more than nine, ten years ago. I was a kid at that time. I shared the stage with him. I preached the best I could, and I was so, you know, on fire. And, and they had paid all kinds of money to have this gentleman there. All kinds of money. I think they paid me 400 bucks or something like that. It wasn't even like what he had for lunch, right? And afterwards, I just wanted a picture of this amazing man of God. I went, sir, can I get a picture with you? Because I wanted to say to my sisters, look who I just shared the stage with. And here's what the gentleman said to me. He says, you're from Africa, boy. I said, yes, sir. He said, well, then you talk to your people, and then you talk to my people. You have no business talking to Americans and get back to me. You want to talk to anybody, go back and talk to your own people. You have a doctor. It's my face. So this one. This one. I tell you what. You have got to go to the vision and say, Lord, 
you call more than two other things when you walk in. You call me to order a black box. So what wonderful man of God, that's his opinion. That's why I'll never give him his name so he can think bad of him. He's a wonderful guy. He's accomplished many things. His perception of me was his perception of me. But I have to encourage myself in the world based on what? If I listen to that, it allows them to crush it through me. I'm doing over any faith. My vision is going to be greater than that being special. He's preaching in one place in Connecticut, predominantly white America. I was preaching out there, and I didn't know what I To this day, some of my men, most of my, 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 my missionary um, partners, the people that partner with me, are from that territory. But as I was preaching, there was a man of God that was also in the audience, pastor of one of the largest churches there. And he came up to me and said, Sir, can I have breakfast with you? I said, Sure, sir. And then we had breakfast the next day. The first thing that he said to me is, like, Your presentation is a bit off putting. For Americans, particularly let's talk about what it says. They don't really, you're too animated, you sweat, you're in shout, you're, you're a bit obnoxious. Why don't you just calm down? <laughs> and I thought, me, calm. <laughs> That's like asking a storm to calm down. Only Jesus can do that. I say, but sir, you know, I, the results that are coming in, people are getting blessed, people are getting healed, some are getting delivered, some are getting set free. And he says, and you keep telling people that Jesus is going to do something amazing. And that's the, what's the problem with you people. Because I think that whatever the Lord was, whatever we do for this country, he's already done. There's no hope for this. And he's telling me there's no hope for America. God is going to just destroy him. And I'm looking at their thinking, my goodness, what do I have to do? I have to go back to myself and say, what? Lord, what's the vision? The vision says, I have everything to start yet. We haven't decided yet. You preach to thousands. Now you're going to preach to tens of thousands. So what do we have to do? We have to revive the vision. The vision is one that keep you. Otherwise, you get other people with opinions can hurt you. Most of us here, if you hear people talk bad about you, you fall and you oh, and they don't think that when well, they say this about me, what are you crying for? Well, and then I heard that they weren't bred by anything. Let them bite a chunk out of your back, but as long as they don't take your eyes out. Amen. If they throw you down, land on your back. Why? Because if you can look up, you can get up. Amen. Cast your vision, 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 vision. It's time to get back to the place of vision. Write it down. Because I was told, have a brother, have a pure too. Write the vision, make it plain that they may run with it, that we mean one. Write it, crystallize it, make it crystal clear. Lord, in the days of my life, I hope for a change is for me. What if it doesn't happen? Better that it doesn't after we put it down than that we don't. Put it down anyway. Lord, I want to speak to these people. Lord, I want to win these many people for you. Lord, I want to accomplish ABCD for you. Lord, this is my heart's desire. When I look at my city, I want to see this group, that group, this group, that group. Lord, I want to, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. Remember, God, don't throw that out you ever you started. Because there's young people you're going to mentor that are going to be powerful in God. You've got to be around to do that. That means what? Because every time, even when I was trying to tell the stay alive. Don't, don't pack in yet. Because yes, you can be harvested to glory, but the work is not yet done. Vision! Are we okay? So yeah, I think it's to be getting to talk about something else. No! Why? This is what we're talking about tonight. Why? Because tomorrow we're going to be looking at the call to leadership. Amen. Each one of us are called to the dimension of leadership. It's an anointing associated with it. I'm hoping that we can attract the anointing before we leave this camp. And you will see it's going to impact your workplace, your family, everything. It begins by you first knowing that if all you see is what's around you right now, you're doing your faith a deep disservice. Lift your hands. Let's all stand. Come on, stand. Everybody, lift your hands. The Lord is always attracted to dreamers, to people of divine ambition. He's attracted to them. And so when he talks to them about what he desires, when Saul was anointed to be king in Israel, what did Saul say? Ah, what am I? I'm not good enough for this. What? He had a shadow vision of himself. And that's why that was undoing smallness of vision is what was Saul's suicide. That's why he never succeeded. Vision was always tiny, always now, always immediate. When David was anointed in 1 Samuel chapter 16, watch this. He's the eighth son of Jesse. He's not even invited to the party. He has to come after everybody. Everybody had to clean themselves to come 
He came smelling like sheep because he went straight from the field to the house. But when the man of God took that oil foil and said, the Lord has chosen me to be captain of his people. Did David fight him? No. Did David say, oh, I'm not good enough? I'm not... Never. He's a teenager, number eight in his father's house. All he did was what? Knelt down and said, go ahead and do what you have to do. Why? Because the prophet was not telling him anything he had not already envisioned. He had already seen it. So he says, put the oil on it. Aren't you amazed that you can be the king? Fine. I already felt in my heart that God can use me for great things. I've already overcome great enemies. The lion and the bear came against me. I've already taken them out. When he saw Goliath, oh, can you, yeah, why? I can already see myself. Look at what David said. Can you see? What did David say to Goliath? <coughs> Goliath was in First chapter, chapter 17. Hey, bro, let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to cut your head off right around here, and then I'm going to feed your body to the birds of the air. What was he doing? Prophesying. Why? I can already see it. Why? That's the vision. <laughs> so what does he do? He picks up five stones, and what? The Bible says he ran toward Goliath. Goliath is there. Thinking, what is this kid doing running toward me? There's a devil right there. What does he do? Cuts his head off and feeds what? He's what? What? Just as he said, the boy lived by a vision. He saw it, he spoke it, he did it. Vision. Follow me? I'm going to ask the Lord who grace us this weekend with the ability to put down solid vision for ourselves individually. For your health, for even your length of days. David asked the Lord for length of days. He says, God, if you give me length of days, I will declare your works to the next generation. He asked to live a long life. That's why he was right with years when he went on. He asked. So length of days, pray for that. Amen. Have a vision. We need you around. Why now that you're wise if you want to go? No, no, no. Now that you're wise, stay. Teach the rest of the kids. Amen. The, the vision that you have in your family. Even if you say, Father, give me a vision for my children, then that's what I'm going to pray. So you don't pray the emotion. Oh, no, please, there's something. No, no. Pray the vision. Amen. And then, as, together as a congregation, just to be able to say, Father, this is the vision that we have for better life. We want the number of people that we have in the church today will be the number of volunteers we have in better life. That will be just the volunteers to help start the service. Why? Because 50,000 people in the local area, South Asians, that eat just as you eat the number two now, they could they could look at your funeral and come on. Extend that to the Ethiopians, extend that to the Somalis, extend that to the White Americans, extend that to everybody. But there's a work for you to do, that's why you're planted. Not to be a comfortable little huddle for the same few people. You are put in here as a net to bring in the nations into Christ. That's why they're Father, right now, the name of Jesus, I just thank you. Lift up your hands if you, if you pray this prayer with me that says, Father, expand my vision. I'm going to pray that the Lord just ignites your heart and gives you a greater vision. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that cause your people to see what you see in them. Because some of them, they just don't see what you can see, Father. Open their eyes. Father, like Elijah prayed for his servant, when he says, God, open the young man's eyes that he might see. Father, I pray for my friends and my family right now. Greater vision for their lives. Greater vision for their family. Greater vision for their work and their business. Greater vision for our church. I thank you, Father, that you restore the vision right now. That vision will sustain us. It will break the back of depression. It will break the back of anxiety. Panic attacks will break that nonsense off of your people right now in the name of Jesus Christ. We need no fear. We need no limits. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I thank you for an expanded vision, Father. I thank you that 2020, as we step into 2020, we step into an entirely new reality. It's a new level, a new level, a new level. At every level, Father, you're bringing us higher, taking us further than we've ever gone. We ask for this in the mighty name of Jesus. You all say? Amen. Amen. Amen.